Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. This is a special episode of Marketing Today. Today, I've got a fellow podcaster, Drew Neiser, who runs the podcast Renegade Thinkers Unite. Everyone should check out that show. And we do a little banter back and forth. I'm mostly interviewing Drew for his 50th episode. It'll come out simultaneously with this one. But we're also reflecting on what we've learned to this point and also what Drew's learned, having written a book as well called The CMO Periodic Table. We were just at a conference together, and this was on the heels of that conference and reflecting on some of the questions like, what do we think of CMOs? We've interviewed well over, I would say, 300 at this point, different CMOs for that matter. What makes a good one? What should marketers be thinking about? And much more. I hope you enjoy this special episode of Marketing Today with Alan Hart and Drew Neiser. Hey, this is Drew, and it's the 50th episode, and I thought we would do something kind of crazy here. I'm here, actually, with my buddy, Alan Hart, who has the uh, podcast, Marketing Today, and we've decided to have a a little fun, and he's going to interview me, because uh, this is episode 50, which means I've interviewed 49, plus the other 200 that I interviewed long before, that 200 
chief marketing officers. And Alan has interviewed a ton of folks. So we're going to bring you the wisdom that we have, such as it is, and uh, see how it goes. So Alan, thank you so much for helping out and being on episode 50. Oh, it's my honor to be here and be interviewing, talking to you, turning the tables. Yes. Hopefully you like my questions as much (laughs) as I like yours. Yeah. Well, and I promised that I would pepper Alan right back if I didn't like a question. So I'll just turn it right back on him. So let's talk. What do you got for me? If it's okay with you, I think your favorite question that I ask <laughs> is one I, I let's start out with. Oh, really? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's getting underneath the Drew skin. Oh, if you will. man. <laughs> so, is there experience in your past that defines who you are today? You know, I've been listening to Alan's show for a long time, and and I love this, and he's gotten some great answers to it. And I thought, God, maybe one day Alan would ask that question of me. So I actually have two experiences. And what's funny is both of them are related to failures in that I overcame, if you will. The first happened when a thin envelope arrived when my senior year in high school. So the Nizer boys all go to Yale and my two older brothers and my uncle, my dad and my great grandfather, and they they all went to Yale. And so it never occurred to me that that wouldn't happen. And even though when I visited New Haven and saw the school my brothers were going to, I was going, this isn't the school I want to go to, but it didn't matter. It hadn't even thought through what would happen. So when the rejection came in from Yale, I went, oh, wow. And then fortunately, I didn't get rejected from Duke. And that was transformative. I had my own, not only experience, but in many ways, uh, you know, there's a hashtag forever Duke. Duke has been part of my life. I was so grateful that I got in. I had such an incredible experience and almost everything that I did at Duke in one way or another, I've ended up doing in my uh, marketing career. I mean, my passion for photography, my passion for communication, all that started. So that was one. Well, I won't hold that against you. Oh, uh, yeah, right. You know, because <laughs> I am a UNC Tar Heel. I know, I know. And an NC State Wolfpack. Oh, so the yeah. only oh. the only school that I cheer against yeah. is Duke. Yeah, it's okay. So, I, I can live okay. with that. And okay, see, you right. can tell. See, we can overcome <laughs> these kind of differences. And that's why we may... One might have thought that there would be a divide or divisiveness between us, but we can overcome it. We can overcome it. We can overcome it. So that was number one. Okay, so I graduated from college and I spent a couple of years in California working for an agency. And I said, all right, they had a couple of years and I said, well, I always want to go to film school. So I'll apply to film school. And I screwed up my applications for both of them. So I said, all right, well, that didn't work. So I ended up flying to New York and I gave myself a week to find a job in New York City. Got a job at J. Walter Thompson, which led to meeting someone that introduced me to my wife. And I've been living in New York ever since. So yet again, another sort of positive thing that happened out of uh, sort of the negative one. So Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. well, and now you've been owning your own agency for a long time. It's true. And that may have also been a, <laughs> a sort of, an, it's a third one in the thing, if you will, because uh, the reason that happened was that Renegade was initially set up to be part of Dentsu and to get Panasonic business, which we did. We had huge success, 15 year run with this client built up the agency. But after 15 years, for a number of reasons, it looked clear that we were going to be losing the business. So I said to Dentsu, well, without Panasonic, we don't really have a relationship to build on. So why don't we, you sell the company to me at a loss and I'll see if I can keep it going. And they said, okay. So yeah, so it was another colossal challenge. And then if you add on the fact that I closed October 31st, 2008, walking into the worst recession since 1929. And 
one of our clients got made off, so we got uh, stiffed uh, $500,000 too. It was quite a challenge. So, you know, just being alive today to talk about it, sort of that's three big. So I guess you could say I'm sort of in the business of making the most out of a difficult situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. Well, let's go a little bit further on Renegade. Well, tell me about Renegade. Because <laughs> we never get to talk about what we do on the day job. Yeah, right. We always talk about podcasts. Yeah, it's true. Okay. It's funny. We've been at this uh, CMO Club uh, Summit for the last couple of days. And, and I think I finally crystallized what business we're in. And, and I think we're in the courage business. And I say that for a couple of reasons. Um, but when I look at what it takes for a successful CMO, um, they've got to, you know, it's cats, it's courage, artful, thoughtful, and scientific. And, but if they don't have the courage, the rest of it doesn't matter. And so our job, Renegade's job, is to give them the courage to cut through the crap. <laughs> That's what we do. So we help clients cut through the crap with both the strategic thinking, renegade thinking, and content uh, plus social plus story equal cutting through. So that's what we do. We're in the courage business. Well, the courage business, but what do you produce? Okay. Maybe. So we produce two things. Renegade thinking is actually strap planning, but different than what you do. Yeah. And then secondly, we're like, think of us as a content marketing agency. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, you know, but the difference in terms of cutting through, because we think most content is crap, is make sure there's a big story idea behind it that will hold all the content together. Make sure it executes clearly all the way through social and we have nothing against National Donut Day, but don't believe a brand needs to celebrate it unless they can find an inherent link to it back to their big idea. Right. Okay. I, I like it. So I now like do it. you understand what we do? I do. Okay. I do. That's awesome. Do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, we have this problem in the agency business is that we're really good at solving our clients' problems, yeah. but we're rarely good at marketing ourselves. So very, very, very true. Very true. Let's talk. We have been at the CMO Summit. Yeah. Let's talk about the CMOs. Yes. Oh my God. One of my favorite topics. <laughs> well, we interview a bunch of them. Yes. Yes. How many do you think you've interviewed? Uh, well, I, I'm up to, I think, episode 60 something. Oh, okay. But I've interviewed more than that right. with prior publications right. and things like that. But So between the two of us, because I think we've only interviewed maybe three or four of the same people. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe at most. Maybe. Between the two of us, we've interviewed over 300 CMOs. Yeah, yeah, easily, easily. And, and what we learned on this uh, trip is that they're actually afraid of this information. <laughs> they, they are. They, it's the most asked question every time we're together. Oh, my God. <laughs> what do you think of CMOs? Yeah, what do you think of them? Yeah. And we both decided it's funny because it, it, it wasn't... We have both met phenomenal CMOs who do have the courage to seek out a big idea and a willingness to cut through the crap. We've worked with ones that are incredibly artful in the way they communicate internally and externally. They're thoughtful in the kind of people they are. Mm -hmm. Then they bring the science into it. They're not just science-led. They start with the courage to have a big idea. We know many of them, and we've had them on our show. Yeah, no, I, there are some really great ones that I've had the opportunity to interview. And one in particular comes to mind is Phil Clement. Right. He is why I'm a consultant. Is that right? It oh, is. That's amazing. Yeah. So he was a consultant to a business I worked for earlier in my career. And I said, wow, that guy is smart. He's humble. And you can get paid for that? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Now, I never, I haven't had the pleasure to interview Phil for the podcast, but I've interviewed him twice and he's in my book. Right. And one of the things that he, I think he's into the sort of in the chapter that has to do with global branding, which is incredibly difficult. But what he has ability to do is to make smart things simple 
he, he knows exactly how to actually take what was a disparate organization and build it into a global brand. I mean, it's a phenomenal challenge that he's overcome. Right. One of the things I picked up from the interview that I did with him was he spent three years. Everyone knows the Manchester United and right. Aon sponsorship, but he spent three years before that even came about working with the sales teams yeah. and working out how they were measuring their effectiveness. And so when he added that component on, it just, he now had a measurement philosophy right. and everything just started to fall into place. Plus he had a lot of friends yeah. to implement <laughs> against and he understood the business and he could sort of go back to them. And, and I would say that whenever we look at marketing campaigns that fail, often they fail internally before they fail externally, either because the promise that was made wasn't real or the cultural requirements of the promise uh, weren't made real. And I can flip that around just for a second and talk about somebody that I interviewed mm -hmm. this year that I thought really nailed it. And actually he inherited, but that kind of thing that matters. And this is sort of, both of us, it's funny, we light up when we talk about marketing. And that's why we, I think, that's why I do these interviews. Yeah. But so I interviewed, I, and I'm embarrassed, to, I call him Jackson J. It's Jackson, who's the CMO of Box.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, when we talk about simple, he box.com has uh, two words deliver joy and and i know we're talking about internal marketing but so if you think about internal marketing and deliver joy for a moment what the ceo did was he figured out wait we're talking about delivering joy and i got an employee who can't afford to pay for his wedding so he said box is going to pay for the wedding Wow. Right. And they filmed it and that thing went viral. And then they realized that the employees who had kids and the employees couldn't afford to pay for their college. So we set up a scholarship fund for employees, kids. Wow. So mm -hmm. it all starts, charity starts at home, right? And so marketing that if you're going to say we deliver joy and you don't do it internally, it's a fail. And so Phil spending three years on the road to build the foundation for his idea is it's essentially a just sort of, again, a brilliant notion that your audience is internal first. Mm -hmm. And that's why in the cat's formula, that artful has to do with that part of the job. Right, right. right. Well, and the role of CMO is challenging. It is. What do you think about the role? Why is it challenging? Well, it's challenging for several reasons. One is that, and we heard that many times at oh, this yeah. conference, was is that they don't really speak the language of the CEO. And the CEO rarely comes from the marketing suite. Rarely. They come from finance. They might come from law. They come from operations, a COO or something. And as a result, the marketing person has often dealt with ethereal as well as measurable things. But they don't have control over everything. The CEO says, I want revenue and I want profit. And the marketer says, well, I want awareness and I want engagement. And yeah, you can have your revenue and your profit, but we're going to need proxy measures. Mm -hmm. And so they're at a disconnect. Right. So that's one. And then there's this other whole freaking issue, which is there's nothing like a great marketing campaign to kill a bad product or service. <laughs> and we had several times where we had clients where we were killing it on the front end and then their customer service was so bad that they would lose them on the back end. Right. So churn was really high, yeah. right? So the CMO's job is to fix that. It could be. And in fact, you've got one of the guys that I interviewed that I love was Manny Rodriguez, who is, totally understands story. This was after I interviewed him, but he, he told me that 
he started to notice that customer experience was a problem in UC Health. And they said, great, Manny, you fix it. <laughs> right? Love when you get that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, okay. So if you want to know what the problem with the CMO is, so he's doing customer experience. He was already doing brand story. He was already doing, you know, positioning and marketing. And now he's uh, responsible for customer experience. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, when I think about the CMO role as well at that C-suite, they're the only person, unless there's a chief sales officer, which is equally rare, there's no one that really has the perspective or should be owning the perspective of the market, whether that's the people or the businesses that they serve. And that's a hard position to be in because you're the only one. Yeah. Finance, we talk about profit, loss, revenue, at least the CEO and the CFO see the same numbers, share the same perspectives, and there's a natural alliance that's formed. So naturally CMOs are isolated. It's true. And you would say, okay, so the CMO traditionally owned the customer and the customer data, but I'll still start a conversation with a CMO and say, so do you have a tracking study? Basic thing like that. And they'll say no. And so, well, what customer data do you own? And they'll say, well, we have sales data. Hmm. Well, you know, that doesn't help you really, does it? That's just post, you know, where's your perception, where's your sort of the information that you would really need to understand and, and <laughs> respond <laughs> and, right, to and, the market. And yeah. also to be able to stand in front of the board of directors and say, we shouldn't do this because this is our customer. Right. Here's what they, so the ones who really do get it, spend a lot of time with their customers. Yeah, I agree. So we've talked about the role. We've had a lot of interesting interviews and we've talked to even more CMOs that haven't been on the show that then probably have been on the show, our respective shows. If you're like me, you've got some pet peeves, <laughs> <laughs> things you either hear over and over that you just kind of cringe at every time you hear it, or you know, it could be other things that you've, well, you've well, seen. Well, one is, and I called you, there was one particular interview that I think you did that was like nine minutes long. Yes. And the gentleman who was that you were interviewing just basically kept saying the same thing in a different way because clearly someone in PR had trained him to say, here are your copy points, you get to say those, period. Right. And so there was a, a lack of honesty and transparency and, and really sort of information that was conversational. Mm-hmm. So clearly they had a message. So that would be one issue and, and obviously those are to be avoided. And I remember... This is another thing I called you on. This is hilarious. This is fun when you're a podcaster and you have and so you get to call each other yeah, out. Exactly. It's fun. So when the fourth person in a row, because you asked the question, so what does this award mean to you? Mm-hmm. All of them, every single one of them said, "Well, it, it was a team effort. It was all about my team, and, and it was really great to." And you know, there was nothing wrong with it. I mean, right. really, it is true that that's how a CMO's job is to build a great team and. You know, I think that's a critical thing, but it felt disingenuous at some point. Right. Well, especially after you've heard it 10 times over and you're like, okay, you're waiting for that person to go, I love getting awards. I'm so great. I'm awesome. I am awesome. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's what we were waiting for is, man, I deserved that because it was my idea and I did it and I drove it down there. and And, you know, look, and to the CMO's credit, they are the team. And I will say that, you know, Beth Comstock, who wasn't on my podcast, but is in the book, talked a lot about importance of listening to the team. And she didn't see herself as the person who came up with the idea, but she certainly felt that she was a catalyst. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's a great way for CMOs to think about. And if they are smart and they are building a great team. And I would say one of my interviews was that surprised me because we didn't talk about marketing almost at all, but that has been one that people have referenced with Patty Newcomer from uh, Intuit. We spent the whole time talking about measuring employee satisfaction Hmm. and how she was able to move it from 40 to 70 points on a standardized scale and then moved it even higher. That was really informative for other CMOs because the measurement of that is not something that a lot of CMOs do. They talk about building a team, but are they actually measuring what it is that builds satisfaction? Right. Well, what do you think it's important for a CMO to be doing or focusing on? So let's talk about strategy for a second. Yeah. I think a CMO, this is the unfortunate part of their job. When you hear the words, I'm building the plane while I'm flying it, or we are, they'll typically mm-hmm. use I get worried about it because a really brilliant marketing campaign will live for 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, we were talking about this earlier that Geico, you know, 15 minutes, how long have they been using that? Forever. Forever. And you know what? Guess what? They're not going to stop. And you know why? Because it really works. works. (laughs) And we don't have the capacity to remember 20 things and we don't need to. We like them and we remember them and we know their value propositions. So if you're going to invest 20 years worth it, you better spend enough time on the strategic foundation. And so to me, that's number one. And often it's like, I remember there was a moment where I saw the new Aflac CMO come in and he said, you know, we got this duck campaign, but people don't really know what we do. And I knew that his job wasn't going to be there that long. Because he thought, oh, I have to add a rational thing to this. I have to add more. And he didn't. He, he, not at all. Right. Because the role of advertising was simply to create likability and recognition so that when the phone rang and the uh, small business owner, CEO, or head of the office got the call and said, hey, I'd like to talk to you about supplemental life insurance or supplemental insurance, by the way, which you don't even pay for. What, can I come in? Yeah, bring a couple ducks. Right. Right? This is done. And so I think that if the CMO doesn't spend enough time on strategy, they're not going to win. No, I agree. I agree. And those building those iconic equities that we're talking about, whether it's a phrase, 15%. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Or it's a duck or it's a bucket of chicken from KFC, you know, with the stripes or Colonel Sanders. All these are great examples of brands that do that and do that very well. And they stick to it. They They don't change it. They don't rebrand. 
<laughs> well, this and then this gets me to another pet peeve. So we, you know, I was talking about earlier that I feel like I'm in the courage business, and I need to give CMOs the courage to cut through the crap. And so, a pet peeve of mine is this whole, you know, content marketing is huge, right? And so, a lot of times, the CMO will come in, and there won't be a lot of content. They say, "We need more content," and so the response of the team will be, "Okay, well, we'll build a content calendar." And then we got to fill the content calendar. And then next thing you know, they have the hashtag National Donut Day and hashtag National Burger Day and hashtag, you know, Silly Wildflower Day. And they have nothing to do with the brand and they don't ladder back to strategy or story. They're just pieces of individualized content. And so I really think that a CMO who has a solid strategy and then has a big idea has an easier job than the one who doesn't because then they can say, hey, is this on the idea? Right. Right. And that idea has a tone and that idea has, you know, it's got to be one that has enough legs. Mm -hmm. But if they got that, their life is a lot easier. Then they can focus on measurement and making it real internally and making sure that it's delivered on the customer experience. But if they don't have that core idea, that is absolutely everything they're doing is building equity into that they're not going to be able to last in their job very long. No, and another one we were talking about, I think we both share is this, I'm not going to do something I can't measure. (laughs) Uh, You know, I had somebody on the show, Peter Horse, he used to be the CMO of Hershey. Uh Prior to that, head of marketing or or senior marketing person at Capital One. Uh One of the most measured companies in the world, but they still saved some money to experiment. Right. To try new things. Right. And I think that's the only way you're going to get great. I agree. And, and I think it's a very tricky thing. It's funny because in the book, in my book, my uh, metrics, one of the elements. And before uh, we go any further, yes. the book's title. Oh, <laughs> wait. <laughs> I would hope my listeners would know that because I reference it all the well, time. Well, my and listeners it. might not, but all I right. want them to have oh, okay. the title. It's the CMO's periodic table, a renegade's guide to marketing. There you and go. it features interviews with 64 top marketing professionals. We cover the art and the science. And as far as the science go, Antonio Lucio is that chapter on that. And he was at Visa when I interviewed him. And he talked about measuring sort of three things. And one was reach, right? Just flat out that. I don't remember the second one and the third one was sort of usage. But the point of it was he had simple metrics. And some of those were proxies again, right, right? for behavior. I'm going to be interviewing somebody soon about sentiment and I'm really interested in that, but I got lost on this one and I want to come back. It happens sometimes. This is why I'm the interviewer, not the interviewee. (laughs) But what were we talking about? Measurement, you know, this notion of I'm not going to do something I can't measure. So this is an interesting part of it. We saw a presentation today and I loved it and I won't even go to the details, but they did a, a very cool influencer program, right? And one of the CMOs asked, well, how'd you measure it? And this cost, they were hoping to raise a certain amount of money. And they did. So they said, well, we raised the art, we hit our goal. But then someone pointed out that there was residual value that is continuing to pay off. And because they had brought these influencers together and brought these media properties together, the media properties were suddenly more aware and more likely to feature them and do business with them and so forth. How would you have measured that in the first? If you had stopped and said, we did this program simply based on this event's ROI, you would miss the sort of the residual value. And this is where, why brand is so hard, Mm -hmm. right? 
because we make irrational choices every day. We buy things because we say, I just like it better. Right. <laughs> I still buy Crest instead of Colgate. There's no rational, rational reason. None, <laughs> yeah. none at all. I, maybe I grew up with it. I just like it better. I, and I, it's not like I like the taste better or the texture better or the thing better. I just do. And so we make decisions pretty much on an irrational basis. And those irrationalities are very hard to measure. Mm. So we talked a lot about story as well. Mm. Tell me your perspective on story and brand story. Okay. So I think that it is the most overused word in our business. <laughs> Everything's a story. Everything's a story. Every brand has a narrative. Every CMO is using the term. And I'm guilty of this and I propagated it. So I apologize to you and all of the listeners that were even using the term. And we're using the term because we can't come up with a better one. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, at our shop, we talk about big S and little s. <laughs> big storytelling. Big storytelling is when you really boil down your brand to an essential conflict, like Georgia Pacific and AngelSoft is, how can something be both strong and soft? Okay, so that's a conflict. And so we now have a conflict and we can build stories around that that might, may or may not have anything to do with a product, but you get the idea of strong and soft and that's the benefit of the product. That's big S storytelling, right? Right. And then you have to take that essential conflict and then you have to execute it everywhere. But the good news about it is if you do it, it's consistent, but it's not necessarily the same 30 second video as a social media post. But if you get it right and you have an idea that will hold it all together, then it really works effectively. And so far, it is the only way that we have seen to hold content marketing and social media together is by having a uber capital S story idea. Mm. Lowercase s is, hey, did I tell you about the time that you know we hung out together at the bar? <laughs> and it has nothing to do with anything. Right. It's just right. a story. story. And that's, to me, what is confused between the two. Right. 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 And it's and it's very tricky. And and I don't brands don't like conflicts, so they you can't even use that term. And so anyway, it's a very complicated one and I can't wait till we have a new word for it. <laughs> well, I know something that came up today at the summit was brands taking a stand. Oh yeah. And I was amazed at how squirmish all the CMOs in the room got. When you asked the brilliant question of should brands take a stand? Right. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Well, this comes back to the courage. And this is when I realized that, you know, that was sort of a defining moment for me where I said, yes, that's the job I'm in. I'm in the business of giving CMOs courage to have their brands mean something. And my opinion as a renegade is if you're not pissing somebody off, you're probably not also developing rabbit fans, right? Right. There has to be some notion that you're different and different. And if you're different, by definition, not everybody's going to like you. That's the essential part of marketing. Now, as far as taking a stand personally in this economy, this divisive political environment where both parties are locked into positions. Right. The only way we can get to a different conversation where we can address something as simple as air right. to breathe, right? Because it shouldn't be a controversy, but it is, is for businesses who drive to take a stand. And so should brands take a stand on gun control, for example? Right. Well, brands that are impacted by it, Possibly. Yeah. 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 And I 
think that for the most part, you know, the brands that take a stand and get protested, most of those protests go away. Mm. They really, true. they do, yeah. they start, and there are three moments in time. There's a saying in, in the social media space, nobody pays attention to what a brand does on Twitter until they screw up. <laughs> but they only do that for a couple of days. Right. And then they disappear. So my personal opinion is that brands need to take a stand. They need to stand for something and they need to have values and values end up meaning that you're for something and you're against something. Right. So well, and thereby creating some tension. Yeah. And a brand story yeah. potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I might be saying something slightly different if I was the head of marketing for all Procter and Gamble brands. Right. But you know what? I don't know that for a fact. Uh, you know, I think if I were them and I have the mom's campaign on the corporate level, I'd be supporting Mad like crazy. Mm. I'd be supporting Mother's Issues like crazy and whatever those meant. So I want to talk a little bit more about you, mm, Drew. Okay. <laughs> so what drives you? What fuels you? You know, it's funny. I started this notion of courage is I feel like I can help CMOs think a little bit differently about their job a little bit. And to me, that's the most exciting part of what we do right now. Because we've gotten to know all these guys, right? Yeah. And if they're in the position, we're not, and this is the thing, CMO is in the position, they have all the levers, right? Yeah. And so to me, if you can get them to do all those levers as a, not just a force to cut through and cut the crap, but as some kind of a force for good, I feel like that's a good day or a good week or a good year or a good life. Well, we've been talking about a lot of brands during this podcast. Are there brands that you personally follow or you like? God, you know, it's funny. I've heard you ask that question. <laughs> I, and I talk to so many and, and I admire different brands for different things. And I'll give you a micro example. And so there's the Allbirds shoes. If you're in Silicon Valley, you like you wear it because it's a statement that you're Silicon Valley. Cool. But here's what I loved about them. I discovered them before my son. And then my son came in when he's 24. And he said, Dad, I just ordered a pair of Allbirds. I said, yeah, wait till you get the box. <laughs> And it's the coolest box you ever saw. You would think, how could a shoe box be cool? What they did was they, they created two compartments. So the whole, it's a self-shipping shoe box. And most shoe boxes you have to put inside another box. Right. So the box oh, it starts square and then it opens up. And there's one shoe on one side and one shoe on the other. And inside is the story. <laughs> and it's genius. And their packaging <laughs> tells the story. And you're suddenly part of the brand. And here I am to advocating for right. it. All because they had a cool shoe box. <laughs> and, you know, look, the design of the shoes is interesting and the positioning of the shoe. But I'm telling you, that experience is mm -hmm. sort of the same way I felt when I pulled my first iMac out of the box. Or, right. Yeah, it's just, so I'm very big on brands that can deliver cool experiences. On the content front, I am really impressed by brands that do uh, great storytelling. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think Manny Rodriguez at UCL is doing a brilliant job with that. So that's another one. And then in the show notes, I'm going to put five more. All right. All right. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. So I'm going to ask you the most dreaded question I have. <laughs> it's one that I'm almost tempted to stop asking people, but here goes. What's the future of marketing, Drew? Okay, so we're going to start by, we're going to blow up the tech stack. Here's why we're going to do it in the now short that's term. that's Renegade. That is Renegade. <laughs> and here's why. 
I'm running into brands, particularly B2B brands, who have $2 million marketing budgets and they're spending a million dollars on the tech stack before they've spent a dollar on marketing. And both of you and I are buying into Sharpian. Oh yeah, right? Byron. Byron, so if you can't get 80% of your dollars working for you to actually build awareness <laughs> and salience and reputation, then what good is a tech stack? So, but in all seriousness, I mean, I don't think the marketing automation world, whether we're talking ABM or marketing automation or data or even AI. So Alan Treffler was on my show and basically called out Watson and Einstein, two AI platforms as complete BS. Wow. Yeah. And he's in the business, by the way, of <laughs> all of that and stuff. But what's interesting about him is that he's really focused. It's all based on we start with customer service and work our way out, mm-hmm. which to me makes a lot of sense because anything in marketing that you do that is good for your customer is good marketing. And so the future of marketing is about we do have data to know our customer better. Right. And I'm all for it. But if you spend all your money on the technology, <laughs> you're not going to have any money left. So first, the future of marketing is the same as it's been, which is get a damn good strategy that has an emotional and rational hook. So think about delivering joy, right? Delivering is the rational. That's what we do. We deliver a lot of stuff. The joy is why I'm going to keep coming back, right? It doesn't even matter what you sell. You're delivering joy. I'm going to buy whatever box.com has to offer because right? I like joy. I'm into joy. So... The successful brands will always get that yin-yang, always be able to simplify. I would say the second thing is that the cream will rise to the top, which means that the brands that over-rely on technology and under-rely on big idea will fail because without the big idea, the things don't hold together. Right. No matter how good your systems are, mm-hmm. nothing good is going to happen. So despite the fact that there are 5,000 tech companies trying to get all the marketing dollars, there's a good likelihood that will be an implosion of some of those things. As brands say, wait, I need a big idea. I need a way to efficiently communicate them. Now, let's get some data underneath that. Right. What do you think the future of, uh, oh. is? Well, I'm a little cynical, I guess. I feel like there's two possible futures. Okay. There's a marketing renaissance where probably the tech stack gets imploded. <laughs> and we remember that we still have to have people at the end of that trail make what? a decision. No, no, no. Computers are just going to make the decision. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you hear everyone now, it's Alexa's going to make the decision right. for everyone, mm-hmm. right? It's all about voice. It's all about Amazon. But people are still going to make that decision. So that's one, you know, a renaissance back to the big idea, the big story, what marketing has been for decades. The other is more of the same. Really? Okay. So we're just going to have more technology and more stuff. More more technology. And probably marketing will lose its influence. Right. And so CMOs won't become CEOs because they're not really driving internally or externally, creating an army of advocates or doing the kinds of things that they need to do to get promoted. Right. And unfortunately, I feel like that second one's coming true. Oh, that's so depressing. (laughs) No, we have to give hope. That's the secret here. We have to give hope. Well, for me, it's the people component. Okay. You know, remember who you're serving. Right. And just forget about the rest of it for the moment. Oh, okay. We're just going to forget and we're just going to focus on... Who we serve. Wow. What do they want? 
How do we connect with them right. as people? Right. Okay. I can't buy with, I'm not going to ask the question, what do they want? Because I always remember Henry Ford's. If I asked them what I wanted, they just give me a faster horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You got to really listen though. Okay. Because no one said necessarily, I, I want a faster horse. Right. They said, I want to get from point A to point B faster. Right. So I could put you on wheels. I could put you on a rocket ship. Ooh. I could be Elon Musk and put you in a hyperloop. Yeah, kind of like that too. <laughs> I like Elon Musk and some of the things that he's got going. But I also wonder if he's overpromising too. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, you just look at his delivery ability right. and it, <laughs> it's so, questionable. But there's a lot of hope. Right. Okay. A lot of hope. So let's just talk about hope for a second. I think that's a perfect place to sort of wrap this up. And part of why I do Renegade Thinkers Unite is that I do want marketers to believe that there is hope. So if I were to ask you this question is sort of when you, a success story that you've interviewed, someone that really inspired you and got you thinking there is hope for the industry, who would that be? That's a good question. I mean, there's been a lot. So I would, you know, Phil Clement, we talked about, he gives me hope. Peter Horst, he gives me hope. Byron Sharp gives me hope. I think a lot of people think about him as this very factual, scientific tactician. Right. He still believes in memory structures, yeah. you know, the softer side sure. of marketing. It's just, he just hasn't figured out how to measure it yet. Right. He will, Yeah. but I think he gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. No, I think that's a good place to uh, sort of wrap up this episode. We're talking about Byron Sharp's How Brands Grow. And even if you don't agree with what it is he has to say, I strongly encourage you to get off uh, when you hang up from this podcast and go buy the book or download it and read it, and then develop your argument one way or another because it's resident at P&G, it's resident at Unilever. I talked to some other CMOs at the summit and they're looking at it. So you just wanna be part of that conversation and at least understand. And if you disagree with it, great, but build an argument because that is to me one of the probably more decisive positions in, oh, yeah. the, in marketing today. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, I, this was fun, Drew. I hope we can do it again sometime. That was awesome. All right. Well, so until next time, keep those renegade thinking caps on and strong. Marketing Today is brought to you by Atomic. Atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve. Atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business, marketing, brand, and innovation. Our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise, analysis, and creativity. Check us out at atomic.com. A-T-O-M-C-K.com. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with project management by Sarah Williams, audio production by Aaron Campbell, writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. We love to hear from listeners at info at atomic, A-T-O-M-C-K dot com. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today.